You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with you, O dear, and I plead with Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. This is a meditation about the disciples. We were a motley crew, rough and ready and uneducated. Not the sort of people you would expect the Messiah to befriend. Yet Jesus came along and called us to follow him. Now in the normal run of things, our response would have been to laugh and walk away. But Jesus was different. His call was completely different We looked at him and were supernaturally constrained to follow him. Leaving all reason behind, we gladly agreed to follow him. We were swept along on the crest of a wave. And how wonderful it was just to walk side by side with Jesus. It was just too wonderful for words. Now we witnessed great miracles. The blind were made to see, the deaf to hear. Jesus was our perfect guide and helper. We didn't always understand him, but we knew he was special. He was all we needed. He was there for us. But at the last, we failed him. When he needed us most, we weren't there. In the garden, And at the cross, we let him down. And yet, in retrospect, we see we could not share his load on that fateful day. He really had to suffer alone to bear the sins of the world. We didn't understand. And then we thought, well, it's all over now. But then he rose from the dead. Jesus actually came alive again. We could hardly believe it. In fact, Thomas didn't. Our friend and guide Jesus was with us. We need never fear again. But then he left us again, ascended into heaven right in front of our very eyes. But we weren't sad this time, for he had promised he would never leave us again. Yes, his bodily form had gone. 
But not long after that, he came to us all in the power of the Holy Spirit, his other self. And that spirit lives in us. He is Jesus in us to guide and lead us. We are united to Jesus through his spirit. And so we are no longer sad or alone. Jesus is within us forever. So friends, our theme this morning is that we are in the Lord. We are in Christ Jesus. We have this spiritual union with our Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase in the Lord comes three times in the first four verses of the reading that we just had, Philippians chapter 4. And then at the end of verse 7, in Christ Jesus, a variant of the same thing. The two phrases refer to ourselves in our spiritual union with the Lord Jesus Christ. They're phrases that occur quite frequently in the New Testament. In the Good News Bible, for example, they're usually translated in union with the Lord and in union with Christ Jesus. So, for a moment, I want to ask and answer the question, how does this union with Christ come about in our experience? And the answer is, it's the result of our conversion to Christ. We repent of our sins and we turn ourselves to God. We renounce our sins, turn to God, and put our trust in the Son of God, who died to bear away our sins. He took their guilt and their punishment on his cross. Then he rose up from the dead to put us right with God. Because we repent and believe, God forgives our sins. God reconciles us to himself as his dear children. He also gives us the Holy Spirit who enlivens our spirits so that we wholeheartedly love and trust and surrender to Jesus. In this way, then, the Holy Spirit is initiating us into this union with Jesus Christ, this ongoing friendship or partnership with Christ in our lives, something by which we can know him every day as Savior from sin, and as Lord and leader, and a strong helper in all our tasks and duties. Now in our chapter this morning, we can find four particular fruits of union with Christ. Their steadfastness, unity, joy, and peace. And we're going to take them in turn for a little while. Philippians chapter 4 then and first in verse 1, Paul tells those Christians at Philippi, stand firm in the Lord. The verse has come up on the screen for you. Uh, would you like to join in, therefore, and read it out together, rather than me just read it myself, shall we? St therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, 
Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Stand firm in the Lord. This union with Christ is for the purpose of keeping us upright in Christ's way. Keeping us loyal to Christ's truth. Keeping us participating in his risen life. So that our lives are changed more and more into the likeness of his perfect love. Back in chapter 1 verse 27, Paul has previously referred to standing firm. He's already said something about this standing firm. And I guess he's wanting the Philippians to remember it when he uses the phrase in this way. In what way? Well, in the way he describes in chapter 1 verse 27, where he says, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together with one accord, For the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Standing firm, striving for the faith of the gospel. They are to remain steadfast, united in spirit and purpose, as they struggle to advance the gospel and advance the Christian faith. Well, if it was a struggle for the Philippians in their day, It's also a struggle for us today, in our day, isn't it? There are few people in our communities who are inclined to tend to attend a place of worship. It just doesn't come naturally these days for people to want to know God and the power of Christ. So we who are committed to Christ must make many and varied efforts to attract their attention and a lot of effort to communicate our message, God's message, concerning Christ. And we're to do this not as isolated individuals, but as united fellowships of believers. We do it as local churches, commissioned by the Lord to spread the good news of salvation to all. Right here in the chapter, Paul mentions by name some of those who did struggle with him in the cause of the gospel in Philippi. And then he also includes the rest of my fellow workers, as he puts it, indicating that there was partnership and teamwork and cooperation in the Lord's mission to the people of Philippi. May I remind us today that We do need to be bold, imaginative, resourceful and persevering in the cause of the gospel. May I remind us that the style and content of services and outreach events needs to be very plain and easy to follow. May I remind us that the language of our songs and prayers and readings and so on needs to be inclusive and contemporary. And that our invitations and posters need to convey a warmth of welcome to all who read them. After I drove into the car park this morning, I took a minute to uh, check your posters on the outside of the church and on your notice boards. Of course, Lots of posters advertising the start of your Alpha course. Very suitable, very appropriate. And another indicating that you rejoice in the harvest, in the good things of God's creation. And there it is again, 
as we all came into the entrance porch this morning, an invitation and a welcome to celebrate harvest next Sunday. Very appropriate notices. It isn't always the case, though. In recent months, I've seen some real howlers on some notice boards. I passed a notice board that said, This church preaches the historic, reformed, and evangelical faith. Well, that's very good to do that, of course. Of course it's right to do it. And actually, I gave you a little summary of that very thing in my introduction. But how many people passing by on the street would have much idea what that notice meant? I guess scarcely one in a thousand. I saw another church notice board which seemed to say that only men can be saved. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Well, we know that's, you know, the old authorized King James Version, and it was okay in the culture of bygone centuries, but doesn't really say today what we really want to say, does it? Not in today's culture. Actually, even our very popular New International Version doesn't take account of the place and role of women in uh, today's society and today's church. But there are versions more recent that are very inclusive in that respect. In fact, we're reading today from today's New International Version, which is an update on the, uh, on, on, on the one that uh, many of us have read for years. I've taken to reading this one in more recent years, and also the uh, New Revised Standard Version, and the more recent edition of the Good News Bible. They, too, uh, are very inclusive in their language approach. As regards notice boards, the best one I've seen recently that I really warmed to was one outside a Methodist church. This church is not for a selected few. It is for everyone. So you are invited too. I think that's a good one. Well, let's ensure that those who accept the invitation and come do find our services relevant, inclusive, easy to, easy to follow. A steadfast and united commitment then to spreading the gospel. I believe it does wonders for our ongoing union with Christ. It really does inspire and strengthen us in knowing the Lord and his mighty power. Gospel work does make us depend on the Lord, not on ourselves. Let's go on to the second of these uh, fruits of knowing Christ and being in union with Christ it's verse 2, and again it's come up for you. Join in again then. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Verse 2 of the chapter. So a disagreement had arisen relating to the gospel work. And Paul begged those ladies to return to a harmonious spirit so that teamwork would no longer be disrupted. Spiritually speaking, they were sisters in the Lord. So let their shared union with the Lord lead them to pray and reflect together. That way, 
they would again become of one mind in the Lord. Lower down in verse 5, it seems to me that Paul then widens this out, this need for agreement. And he indicates that it needs to apply to all aspects of church life and church fellowship. It's that little sentence in verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. Maybe it's not a tremendously strong translation, though it's a popular translation in the various versions, to say gentleness. One or two other translations use the term forbearance, which indicates considerateness. And a commentator I've read adds sweet reasonableness, unselfishness, big-heartedness. All these words are needed to encompass the real meaning of what Paul says in the original there. Because it's one of those cases where there isn't a single word or phrase in English that will cover it all. So we need to have that broad view of it and to realize that, yes, it's appealing for agreement in all aspects of life together and service together in the Lord's church. It's implying a willingness to yield whenever yielding is possible without violating any real principle. For only in extreme matters of conscience should anyone dissent from the decisions of the majority or from the consensus of opinion, only in extreme cases should anyone feel that they must stand out in opposition. Hopefully such instances will be very few and far between. Hopefully our oneness in Christ will normally lead us to be of the same mind. Some of you will be aware that Paul has described this same mind a little bit more fully in chapter 2. In chapter 2 at verse 2, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. How are we to arrive at that point? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's how we arrive at this point, this place of agreement in the Lord. Thirdly, the third fruit of our union with Christ, rejoice in the Lord. At verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again. Rejoice, very well known words. But why rejoice? Why should this be so? Why always be joyful in our union with the Lord? Because of who the Lord is. Because of what the Lord has done for us. And what he means to us as we keep ourselves close to his presence. As we keep our church fellowship open to his presence. That's why we should rejoice in him. Again, we can refer back to another chapter, chapter 3, verse 3, and there's a, a, a good reference to it there when Paul says that we, we who are in Christ, we are the people who serve or worship God by his Spirit and boast in Christ Jesus. 
We worship God by the power of his spirit and we exalt or glory or pride ourselves in Jesus Christ. We've been doing that already very much this morning in our praise and worship, haven't we? That's the first and foremost situation in which we always do it. The corporate praises and prayers. Time of rejoicing in the Lord. For Christian worship is essentially that. It is to glory in the Lord Jesus. In Christ incarnate, crucified, risen, ascended. Coming again in glory. But in addition, there will be times when we find reasons to rejoice and be glad in the Lord privately. If you take a few minutes later on today to uh, look through Philippians, you will find some of Paul's personal reasons for being joyful. And maybe you'll identify with, the, with some of those. And then want to add a few of your own from your own experience and circumstances. I just want to emphasize for a moment, friends, this centrality of Jesus in our rejoicing and our celebrating. Jesus, be the center. We were singing earlier, it's not just a good song, it's a good prayer too. He's meant to be at the heart and center of everything. And yet I've come to realize that not everyone who attends a Christian church always focuses on Jesus Christ. For example, I've heard testimonies in which people have spoken about turning to God, God as Father. And others when people have spoken about getting to know the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, we believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Of course we do. But the testimonies have made no reference to Jesus Christ. They've said nothing about forgiveness of sins through Christ crucified. And I've been left wondering what do such people hope for really when they attend church? Is it just an emotional or mental pick-me-up to help them to face a new week? Just last Thursday in my daily paper, two people had written letters pleading for the Church of England to go back to its old-fashioned prayers and the authorized King James Bible. And one of them said this, Part of the mystery of our faith is that we do not have to understand everything that's put before us. Hmm. If it gives comfort and enriches the soul, surely that is what Christianity is all about. Not understanding when you come to church. Just getting a little bit of comfort or uplift? No, that's not Christianity, is it? Christianity is Christ. Christianity is about the centrality and sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he died for our sins, how he invites us to know the power of his risen life, how in union with him we must grow in his grace and knowledge and love. A good Baptist writer, Derek Tidball, has made this comment, we're not to be consumers of a comfortable religion, but disciples of a crucified Lord. You know, a bit of comfort and uplift, well, you can find it in many places, can't you? Even in spiritualist meetings. 
or sessions of transcendental meditation. I guess you even find it at the over 60s club or the bowling club or whatever else you go to for social life, don't you? But the God and Father we want to appreciate is the God and Father revealed in the Lord Jesus, his Son. A Redeemer God who has given Jesus to be the true and living way to himself. And he's also the Holy Father, of course. The one whose Holy Spirit is also the Spirit of his Son, the Spirit of Christ. That means the gift of the Holy Spirit is God within us and Christ at home in our hearts by faith. This marvelous awareness then of the whole God, the fullness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's possible only because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say it, rejoice. And so to the fourth of these uh, Items, these particular fruits of our union with Christ. Down to verse 7, receiving or experiencing peace in Christ. So again, read that one with me. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace will garrison or keep safe and sound your thoughts and your hearts in union with Christ Jesus. Now the root to this peace of mind and heart is prayer. The root to it is prayer. Asking God for what we need. Asking him with a thankful heart. That's the verse just before, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And once again, Paul's referring primarily to the church fellowship at Philippi, the fellowship of believers. Were they worried, anxious, that some things were lacking or that some things were going wrong? Then let them take those concerns to the Lord in prayer. Let the Lord's people nowadays do the same in Christian fellowships. Turn each situation over to God in prayer. Put each need into his hands, asking him to supply what is lacking. And as you do this, you need worry no more. For what will God do? Verse 19 of the chapter, God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Each situation then given to him, trusting him to make all things work together for good. And then you'll have peace about everything. You'll have peace from God. Of course, I think it's quite right to apply the promises also to our personal and private worries. I'm sure God wants us to do that as we read these precious words in his word. What are you worried about this morning then? I guess it could well be rising prices and the cost of living shooting up in recent weeks and months. Don't worry. Ask God to help you to cope and to supply your needs. 
God our Father always has his ways and means of meeting all our real needs. We can trust him and so enjoy his gift of peace. Or furthermore, the promises apply to those pressures or hassles or stresses that you feel and find in your workplace maybe or in your family situation. Invite God into all those circumstances as well, won't you? God will send his blessing and provision. God will help you to cope. Again, there's a verse in this chapter, chapter 4, verse 13, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can get through and accomplish all through the Lord who infuses us with the strength. We can do our work then, and we can care for our family with the peace of the Lord in our hearts and our minds. A little quotation from Hanley Mole, a former Bishop of Durham. He advises us, to aim to walk with God all day long and to abide every hour in Christ. It is possible, he says, to cast every care on him daily and to be at peace amid pressure. The peace of God that passes human understanding, it keeps safe and sound our thoughts and hearts in Christ Jesus. And so, a little conclusion or summary. I've taken it out of the letter to the Hebrews. And we can all read it together. It's a prayer. May the God of peace make us complete in everything good, so that we may do his will, working among us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So now we prepare our thoughts to come to the time of communion. I'll read two scriptures and then we shall sing a song that will direct our thoughts to the cross. From the prophet Isaiah, we have all strayed like sheep. Each of us has gone his own way. But the Lord laid upon him the guilt of us all. He was pierced for our transgressions, tortured for our iniquities. The chastisement he bore is health for us, and by his scourging we are healed. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, and that is God's own proof of his love toward us. Thanks be to God. Let's come to our song. <laughs>